It is a, a joy to be here this morning. You know, as we say down at the Baptist Church, just to find ourselves in the land of the living. Amen? Amen. Because somebody didn't wake up this morning, but we are here and we are alive. And we have one more opportunity to do something. I don't know what it is, but we have opportunity as long as the blood is running warm through our bodies. Amen. Amen. So I am grateful to be here for that reason alone. But for more than that, I thank you so much for the invitation to return. I was here in January when there was snow on the ground. (laughs) And uh, I was here to share about issues that we work with at City Mission Family Homelessness and and um, and the issues of finding housing these days um, with the rising housing costs and stagnant wages has created a, a tsunami, a tsunami of suffering in Boston, particularly among the elderly and young fam and families. Homelessness increased by 17 percent among families in Boston last year. I thank you for your prayers and your gifts that you have offered to City Mission. But I also am glad to be found in this sacred hour with you, united again with my pilgrims. Now, there's some pilgrims among you. I'm not talking about 16-something. I'm talking about some people who experienced the peace and justice pilgrimage to Montgomery and, and Selma in June. And uh, this is sort of like a reunion. In addition to having the pilgrims that went from this congregation, I had three pilgrims that journeyed with me from Boston this morning, Helen and Carrie and Murray. So what I'd like to do now is have all these pilgrims stand up. I want you to see them. I want you to see them this morning. Yeah. So it's a little reunion that we're having, and and it's so good to be here uh, because they give me hope. They give me hope because they found the courage to learn things that are necessary to create a better world. They give me hope, and I believe that our story is unfinished, that we've got more work to do, you and me, City Mission. And and in this congregation, so you give me hope as we think about ways that we are going to, and then we are dismantling um, narratives that are old and don't work anymore, and dismantling racism. Now, as you might see, I'm black. <laughs> All right, I'm just saying, just getting it out there. <laughs> So, so what that means is I'm going to be very aware of the clock. I preach in the African-American tradition, so that means you have to help me. And every now and then you're going to say what? Amen. Now, I know you all can do it. I think you might have done it before when I was here. I know the pilgrims on the, on the, on the pilgrimage clapped at 2-4, at not 1-3. <laughs> all right? Two, four, not one, three. Yeah, okay, you got it. 
So, so you got to help me because I could be here all day. And I don't want, no one wants that. Amen? Amen. All right. So would you, would you pray with me? <laughs> oh, now that we come to this time in our, in our worship, we ask uh, that you, God, who comes to us as a spirit in many different ways and in names, that you would be with here, be with us, that you would tarry in the word. We'd ask that you would accept all of the meditations of our hearts and the words and the thoughts that, that we have. We ask in the name of you, O oh God. Amen. You can say amen. amen. In 2014, Brian Stevenson, who is a genius among us, wrote a wonderful book called Just Mercy. And it is a story of um, justice and redemption. Now, if you have seen this book, or maybe you haven't, you might have heard of it because it appears on the, the bestseller list for the Boston, uh, for the Boston Globe, the uh, Washington Post, the New York Times. Brian Stevenson is a genius. He is a lawyer. He founded something called the Equal Justice Initiative, which is a legal practice which is dedicated to defending the poor, which is dedicated to defending those that are wrongly condemned, to aid children who are persecuted as adults um, and those who are confronting abuse within our criminal justice system those who are trapped in the criminal justice system for all the wrong reasons, such as mental illness and other things. Brian is sort of like the secret sauce, as we learned. Uh, he's the inspiration behind the Legacy Museum and the memorial that we had an opportunity to visit. In his book, we read that um, he, we read about how this work that he has done in the criminal justice system has transformed his understanding of mercy and justice. You see, mercy is a noun, but it becomes a verb when it moves into action, acts of compassion and kindness and forgiveness, forgiveness to alleviate human suffering. Mercy is best when it is unexpected. I have a little story. I experienced mercy. I hope some of you have, too, in your lifetime. I experienced it really early in life. I had done something really, I guess it was kind of bad. And um, my mother said, go out and get a switch. And you know what a switch is? It's supposed to be like a little branch. You know, they hit your legs with it. Well, I went out and bought in a tree branch, <laughs> dragging it over my shoulders. And my mother laughed. She wouldn't hit me with that. That's called mercy. <laughs> That's called mercy. I've had some time to reflect on our work in Birmingham and to ponder why it is so easy for us to put up walls versus create bridges. And mercy has a lot to do with that how we look upon others in our world and how easy it is 
as we think about the institution of slavery and particularly mass incarceration, how easy it is, or we look at the immigration issues now, how easy it is to create a whole ideology around other. So that others really feel so, it feels like we're so separate that we're not them, that we're okay. So I've had some time to think about that and the switch that my mom would hit me with. Three observations about mercy this morning. First, in order to extend mercy to another, we first have to have a holistic understanding of who and what we're dealing with. I want to read you parts of a reflection that was written by Paul Boulet, who was on our pilgrimage. He's a member of Old South Church. And he titled this work, We Thought We Knew, Reflections on a Pilgrimage to Montgomery and Salem, Selma, Alabama. It goes like this. We thought we knew. After all, we had read Coming of Age in Mississippi and watched Eyes on the Prize on PBS. But still, we didn't really know. We thought we heard about racial equality in Alabama. Had We thought that there was progress. But wondered what it meant after reading the round placard sign that said, birth of the civil rights movement on one side, and on the other said, the first capital of confederacy on the other. We thought we knew that the current criminal justice system had led to a disproportionate number of black men in American prisons. But we did not know that today, there are almost as many incarcerated African Americans as the four million enslaved people before the end of the Civil War. So yes, we thought we knew, but after three days of witnessing and reflecting, we had to admit, we still didn't know, but the half of it. You see, mercy requires us to get close to the issues. It might require us to put some clothes in a suitcase and travel somewhere. We need to continually strive for greater understanding of people and issues and challenges, particularly in this era of fake news and our alternative facts. We need to be in a position to challenge false narratives of racial differences that justify genocide, it justified genocide against the Native American people. It justified the enslavement of African people, not just in the South, but also right here in the North. And we need to think about the narratives that are being created right now about, I don't like this word, illegal aliens. There is no such thing as an illegal alien. Amen? Amen. We're talking about people. People created in the image of the holy. A few, well, it's been almost a year. City Mission was on 14 Beacon Street for almost 180 years working with poor people. It's a joke. It really is funny. <laughs> and the minute I walked in the organization, I said, you know what? I said, this is out of order. <laughs> We're out of order. How can, 
there poor, there's some poor folk up on Beacon Hill, but there's a lot of poor folk in Dorchester, Roxbury, Mattapan, and East Boston, and Chelsea, and the like. So about nine months ago, we ended up right in the middle of it, Columbia Road. Yesterday, I walked past the shrine for a young man who was killed, feet, matter of feet from our front door. There's work to be done. There's information to know. I want to know who that was who was killed. And I want to begin to understand what can we do to address these issues. I thought I knew. Paul says, I thought we knew, but maybe we don't. Second, to be without mercy is to be yet without an honest awareness of our own humanity. We come to a place of mercy by recognizing our own brokenness, and that brokenness becomes a strength because brokenness creates a need and a desire for mercy and perhaps the corresponding need to show mercy. I want to tell you a story that's in Brian's book if you haven't read it. It's a story of a young man named Avery Jenkins. And Avery writes a letter to Brian and he's asking for help because he is behind the bars and as a young person he he um, committed a brutal murder um, but he's been condemned to death. Brian says that after reading Avery's letter, which was written in small, small print, which he needed a magnifying glass to read, he said he realized that something was wrong, that this person perhaps was suffering from mental illness. But Brian started to look at the files around the case and learned that nothing was ever mentioned about Avery's um, suffering from a disability. So Brian pulls into the parking lot at the prison, and it doesn't tell us where in Alabama, but he notices a pickup truck that was loaded with some disturbing images, a Confederate flag hanging off the back, a gun rack, a Confederate flag decals all over, and a bumper sticker that reads this. If I'd known it was going, if I had known it was going to be life like this, I would have picked my own cotton. The truck belonged to a prison guard that would give Brian Stevenson the run of his life in terms of having a very aggressive strip search when he went into the prison. The prison guard unlocked the door to the visiting area where Brian was going to go in and meet Avery. And the prison guard uh, just grabbed Brian by the arm and said, hey, man, did you see that truck out in the visitation yard with a lot of bumper stickers, flags, and a gun wrap rack? He says, well, you know what? That belongs to me. Over time, Brian learned that this man was uh, treating prisoners unfairly, no mercy at all. But each time that Brian visited Avery, Avery would say, did you bring me a chocolate milkshake? 
And at first, Brian was a little annoyed with this. You know, this is serious life and death. And this young man said, did you bring me a chocolate milkshake? Over time, we we learned that Avery is um, just doesn't suffer from mental illness. He's seriously impaired. He... Um, his father was murdered at a young age. His mother died from a drug overdose. He was part of the foster care system at the age of 10. When he didn't comply with the rules of the house, his foster mother tied him to a tree. He was found three days later by some hunters in the woods. Um, at 17, he was deemed incapable of being managed. And he was left homeless. He struggled with drugs. None of this was in the court record. It was never mentioned during his trial, along with the fact that some of those foster families that he stayed in their home had been convicted of sexual abuse and criminal mismanagement of foster children. Did you bring me a chocolate shake? Each time, he'd ask Brian. So fast forward, Brian won the case. Avery got off of death row and was sent to a facility where he could receive the help, the help, the mercy that he needed. Brian went back when all was over and said and done to just see Avery for the last time. Brian was kind of nervous because he knows he's got this brute to deal with. Some little harassment perhaps just to trying to get in to visit his client. But something changed. Something was very different. The guard said hello. Brian went and followed the rules. I've got to do this strip search and sign a book three or four times. The guard said, don't worry, just go on in. Hmm. The guard, when Brian came out, said, you know what? I want to tell you something. I really appreciate what you're doing. I really do. It was difficult. This guard took Avery to the courthouse every day and he sat and listened to the proceedings the the guard said it was very hard for me to sit and listen to what you were talking about in the courtroom because you know what I came up in the foster care system and man I didn't think anybody had it as bad as me but you know what they moved me around a lot like I wasn't wanted anywhere but listening to you made me realize that people like Avery had it a little harder and badder than I did. I guess it can get worse. It brought a lot of memories back to me. And Brian sort of takes it in. And he says, the guard says, oh, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute, I got something else to tell you. I did something I probably wasn't supposed to do. But I want you to know that on our trip back to the prison on the last day of the trial, well, you know how Avery is. Well, anyways, I took an exit off the interstate on the way back. And you know, I took him to Wendy's. <laughs> and what did he get at Wendy's? Chocolate shake, amen, amen. In his final visit to Avery, Brian says, look, I tried to bring a, a chocolate milkshake in, but they wouldn't let me. But Avery cuts Brian off and says, you know what? 
Avery says, oh, I got my chocolate milkshake. I'm okay now. To be without mercy is to be without an honest awareness of our own humanity. It's one thing to be righteous. It is another thing to be merciful. Righteousness confirms our pride. Mercy is a sign of humility. It is a sign of being human. We come to the place of mercy by recognizing our own brokenness. And in this case, that brokenness became a strength for that prison guard. They say shortly after he quit his job. (laughs) But it creates in us something. It touches our hearts with something that's that's really real. You see, when we start to share our vulnerability and our imperfections, it sustains our capacity for mercy and compassion. It is mercy that is least expected is most strong to break cycles of victimization and victimhood, retribution and suffering. It is the power to heal the psychic harm and injustices that lead to aggression and violence, abuse of power, mass incarceration. Third point. In this story that we read this morning from the book of Luke. I call it the wise guy story. I like this lawyer. He's kind of cool. Because he's asking asking the right questions, right? He's trying to get information. But ultimately, he answers it for himself. He finds out who is the neighbor. He says, the neighbor is the one who treats him with mercy. Yes, the lawyer was right. Because the Samaritan demonstrated compassion and acted decisively as a benefactor to the wounded traveler on the roadside. You see, he took him over to Emerson Hospital. (laughs) He probably filled out some forms wrong. (laughs) And he paid the bill. And then he probably found an Airbnb, is that what you call them? There's probably a couple of them out here. So the man could go over there and get a little recovery. And then, you know, get his life back together. This action identifies the Samaritan as someone who showed mercy on this person. And let's not forget the fact that this Samaritan has, has crossed a gaping abyss of animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews. You see, mercy takes us outside of ourselves. It makes us one with the rest of the world. You see, the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? The good Samaritan flipped it. He said, if I don't stop to help, What will happen to him? What will happen to you if no one stops on the way? You see, the challenge of this parable comes in the question of who is our neighbor. And Jesus makes it clear that our neighbor is not only the ones who are needing help and those who experience, we experience as the object of our mercy, but it is also us 
who are compassionate neighbors to the most vulnerable among us, us who must refuse to accept the unjust conditions and the treatment of our sisters and brothers all around us. Because as Dr. Martin Luther King says, that our fate is all tied to one another in a single garment of destiny. So it is this second level of mercy that is transformational because it calls us to go beyond the sentimental expression of piety and charity. And it makes me crazy collecting all these school supplies for kids this time of the year. I know we need to do it. But what about some state-of-the-art school buildings and paying teachers for the salaries? We learn everything, much of the stuff that we know are from who? Teachers. What about restructuring our educational system so we don't have to continue to how many how many book bags are we going to buy? Can we can't buy our way out of this with book bags? We're talking about confronting systems that are robbing people and community and denying them their human rights. As Dr. King says, compassion is more than flipping a coin at a beggar. It requires us to restructure the very systems that are creating suffering and to work with those, not for those, but with people that are suffering to restore everybody's human dignity. Everybody who's on the way, on the left, on the, on the wayside. And as I say, get old in America, you might find yourself on the wayside of the road. Finally, I think some of you know this, coming to church can and at times can be a dangerous thing. Amen? And it is serious business because you know what we're doing? We're doing soul work. We're strengthening our souls for the journey. So the great spiritual question this morning is not whether or not this person or this situation deserves mercy. The question is about whether or not we ourselves are capable of showing it. That's the question. You see, mercy comes from the heart. There's a Greek word, in Greek, compassion. The word compassion means to be moved in the bowels. It's a visceral response. We're talking about a heart being moved. We're talking about a heart transplant, as Dr. Baba says, a heart uh, reinvigoration. Uh, this is, mercy is a matter of the heart. It's a movement of the heart. It's not good enough to say at the end of these mass shootings, our prayers and thoughts are with you. Got it. But what are we going to do? The major... The major holy-making moments in our lives may be when we receive the mercy that we know we do not deserve. Then we may again substitute disdain for understanding, rejection for openness, legalism for justice. Someone said, I think perhaps it is a better world if one has a broken heart 
then one is quick to recognize it elsewhere. Who is our neighbor? The one who showed mercy. Then Jesus says at the end of that statement, well, go and do likewise. Amen.